Welcome to this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. The guest is former Warriors injury and performance guru, Lachlan Penfold, whose lone season with the Warriors was the 73-9 season in 2015-16. Penfold, as you'll notice right away, is Australian, and he is currently the director of performance for the rugby league club, Melbourne Storm. And I said Melbourne, not Melbourne, because that's how you pronounce it. You laugh if you heard an Aussie say Charlotte or Arkansas. So don't call it Melbourne, okay? It's Melbourne. So he's great. And think about it. The guy came over to America and his first job in pro sports in America was the 2015-16 Warrior season. So he's got lots to say. I've got lots of questions. We'll talk about the crazy roller coaster season working with Steph Curry. We'll talk about Luke Walton versus Steve Kerr, the difference between NBA athletes and rugby athletes, the 82-game schedule, recovery tips, and what he learned about American sports culture. Again, this guy, Lachlan, he has worked with just about every type of athlete in the world. Olympic athletes, you want to talk about rugby versus football versus soccer versus skiing. He's probably done as many sports training as you'll find in the world. So he's got some great perspective on the NBA. But before we get into the interview, I want you to go check out the NBCSports.com's Top 50 in Five Years Project. I know you're probably fiending for some NBA talk in the dog days of the offseason. This is what you need. NBCSports.com, the Top 50 rank in five years, led by Kurt Heelan. A bunch of us at Team NBC Sports ranked the top 50 players in five years. And while I didn't actually rank the guys, I did pick five players that I thought were underrated. And the first write-up I did was on Lonzo Ball at 46. So go check it out. And I'm sure it'll hold you over until the actual training camp and Team USA gets kicked off. And by the way, speaking of Australia, Team USA is going over there right now to go start the exhibition before they go to China. So without further ado, I bring you the Australian performance guru, Lachlan Penfold. What's going on, man? Uh, not much. It's uh, late at night and we're just getting ready for another day tomorrow. Yeah. Training in football and yeah, that's about it. Wait, wait, wait. Is this Aussie rules football or is this rugby? What is this? I, I'm, a, I'm a stupid American over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's rugby league. So in Australia, we're a country of 20 million people and we decide we're going to have uh, four football codes, soccer, as you know it, and then three other ones. So we have rugby league, rugby union, and Australian rules football. So I work with rugby league. Yeah, so it's probably the closest game you'll get to American football out of those three. What is the difference between rugby union, rugby league, and Aussie rules football? Australian rules football is a bit like Gaelic football, if you know that. But it's a lot more of an endurance game, probably closer to soccer than it is to NFL. A lot more running around, a lot more kicking of the football, whereas rugby league, rugby union, there's a lot more tackling and and, uh, that sort of stuff. But rugby league, every time you tackle, you stop, you play the ball. So it's a bit more, I wouldn't say stop, start, but... Yeah, probably easiest to understand out of all of them for the American people. And I see that uh, on the ladder. Do you hear that? I use terminology. I, yeah, term- yeah, I yeah, saw nice. on the ladder, you guys are the top of the, the, the ladder, which in America, it's the standings. So you guys are in first right yeah. now? Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, we're a couple of games clear. And so we, we've had a pretty good season. But as you know, what happens during the regular season doesn't count if you don't win at all. So yeah, we're, we're about three games out of the playoffs and then the new season starts and hopefully we can continue our good form and, and carry it all the way through. Lachlan, that is some great foreshadowing because <laughs> you were a part and people are probably sitting here like, why are we talking to a guy in, yeah, in yeah. who coaches rugby league uh, on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Lachlan Penfold was a part 
of probably the most epic roller coaster season in NBA history. You were hired by the Golden State Warriors, I guess in the offseason heading into the 2015 summer, to go <laughs> and be the director of performance and sports medicine for the Golden State Warriors. And you guys went 73 and 9 in the regular season. Steph Curry gets a little hurt in the beginning of the playoffs, and then you guys go up 3-1 against the Cavs and lose in the finals. So that is, I mean, you probably don't have this perspective because you had one season here, but that is Mm -hmm. probably the most, I don't know if it's heartbreaking, I don't know if it's the most infamous, Mm. but the most crazy season that that we can remember. And you you were literally there for every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was pretty crazy for me too, you know. Um, obviously, I didn't grow up on basketball. I grew up watching a bit of the Chicago Bulls of the Michael Jordan era. And then basketball became reasonably big in Australia, and then it sort of faded out, and I had other interests. And then all of a sudden, I was in the NBA and back into watching basketball and being a part of it all. And to go through that season, it was hectic, it was crazy, and at the very end, it was heartbreaking indeed. Just to see the amount of work and effort and that everyone put in, but the players especially, and to be so dominant and so good for so long. And then, you know, I guess in a way to lose a bit of that mojo right when you really needed it and see it slip away, you know, and, and that's not taking anything away from Cleveland because they'll argue that they took it. And in some ways they did too, you know, but yeah, it was very interesting. How did you get the job? Because it seems to me the the rise of sports science in America, uh, we're late to the game. Uh, you guys have the Australian Institute of Sport. You guys uh, mm-hmm. were way into GPS trackers and just the technology side is way more advanced in Australia. Mm-hmm. So when did like the NBA become on your radar and why did you take the job? Yeah, look, Good point. I'd spoken to a few American teams that, that approached me and, you know, they'd found my name through various sources, you know, in NFL and NBA and the Warriors that actually approached a guy called Troy Flanagan just to gauge his interest. Now, Troy's an Australian who was at the US skiing. He's now at the Milwaukee Bucks, yeah. so he'd just signed with them and, and he suggested they should have a chat with me. And I was working with the Australian Sevens Rugby at the time. And, you know, I think I was in Tokyo when they first contacted me and I got up at 3 a.m. to talk to them. And, <laughs> you know, things just went from there and they got me over for an interview and I, and I assume they had, you know, a number of other people over there. And, you know, I obviously said some things that resonated with them. And, and so we both took a punt and, and uh, went on a little journey together. And you're right, America's probably a little bit later to the game. That doesn't mean that, you know, Australians are better at it or anything like that. We're, we're probably more experienced in some ways, but American sports are very different to Australian sports. American sports are very, I, I guess, in a way, plain dominant. You know, like you look at, apart from NFL, the ice hockey and the, base, and the basketball have similar schedules. I'll play I think it's 3.9 games per week on average. And baseball plays, you know, whatever they play, they're crazy. So they play a lot of games, but they don't do a lot of training or what you guys call practice. So it's a very competition-based schedule. Whereas in Australia, most sports will play on a weekly sort of turnaround. You know, like in rugby league, we play somewhere between five to 10 days, but it's it's basically once a week, but depending on what day you schedule, because we can play from a Thursday through to a Sunday Mm -hmm. um, and your turnaround times, uh, you know, so so it, within that period, you have time to practice and train, um, and then you also compete. Now, we, we play 24 games in a year plus finals, so it's more than what the NFL do. Um, so we have a longer season in that way, but we also have, you know, a similar schedule to the NFL where you play once a week. But most Australian sports are like that, where the, most American sports, you're playing a lot of times. And But you knew that going yeah, in. I did know that going in, definitely. Did you talk to Troy or any other, you know, performance guys in the NBA before you came? Yeah, look, Troy hadn't started at the Bucks when I spoke with oh, him, yeah. but he started the same year I did. But I, a friend of mine who used to work with an, 
an Australian rules team with me in Australia, Alex Moore. He was at the Cleveland Cavaliers, ironically. Um, and he'd been there for a couple of years before I got there. And, you know, we, we'd have conversations and, and Alex is like, well, I can tell you what it's like, but until you actually live it, you won't understand it. <laughs> and he was right. Until you actually live it, you don't really understand, you know, the schedule and, and how, um, you know, I, I don't know if hectic's the right word, but it, we, it's just we for call long, it a grind. Know? We call it grueling, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and it is it is to a degree. Um, you know, one of the things that I took away from my time in the NBA was my, uh, I, I guess, admiration for the players to just suit up. And get on with the job every day, you know. Like you, you might have flown in from, you know, as we did one time, we had a double overtime against Boston, and we landed in Milwaukee at about 4 a.m. in the morning. They have to get up and play. I think it was six o'clock that night. And, you know, it was the seventh game of a, a seven-game, 13-day road trip. But you know, and that was the just, first loss of the season. It was indeed, you know. Um, but they just put their. Well, I was going to say put their boots on, but they put their sneakers on and. You know, they they just get on with the job, and there's there's a there's a degree of professionalism in that. You know that it's, you know it doesn't matter how you're feeling, you just get out there and you you perform. <laughs> you call um, it professionalism, yeah. but I kind of feel like there's a little bit of NBA athletes are crazy. This is stupid. This is stupid. Playing, <laughs> waking up at four a, or getting in at four a.m. and then going playing in the night that night. Like that seems insanity. <laughs> like if you t- like if you tell your your rugby players about the playing schedule, mm. what do they say about the NBA? Yeah, it's funny. Like the, the rugby boys aren't so bad. Um, the AFL, the Australian Rules players, you know, like if you have a six-day break and a travel and then another six-day break and a travel, they all fall around and go, oh, that's unfair. You can't do that. And it's like, like I said, try seven games in 13 days. We basically <laughs> crossed America four times. But, you know, it, I guess it's what you expect and what you accept as yeah. normality. Um, and if you go into the NBA and, and you, you understand that that's how it is and, and that's what's expected. So, you get on with it. But, you know, for me, the, the NBA I found was a compromised preparation and performance environment. One, because you don't have time to really prepare properly because you're playing so much and traveling so much. And and, and two, like the, the performance environment is compromised because you, when you're playing your fifth game in seven days and you've traveled, in, you know, to three or four different cities, you're not at your best. And when you play rugby league on a weekly basis, you know, you've got some level of fatigue and, and injury, but you've got a chance of being closer to your best than, than those sort of situations. So, um, you know, not taking away anything from the from the skill and the ability and, and the basketball prowess of, of all the players in the NBA, but I just feel like it's a compromised, you know, preparation and performance environment that, that they live in. Well, it wasn't designed um, to be the athlete or athletic performance first, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's um, – as one of our assistant coaches used to say, the circus rolls on and, um, yeah, it's all about money. So you you started – the team started 24-0, of course, that, that season. Mm-hmm. But actually mm-hmm. th- this was even crazier of a start because Luke was the coach. Yeah, yeah. So was, what was like, that like for you? You come in and you're like, oh – you're obviously you're obviously really geeked out about you know I'm going to be working with Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, Clay, mm-hmm. Clay Thompson, and Steve Kerr is the head coach. What could be better? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. when did when did it start becoming apparent to you that hey maybe Steve's not right and he was not going to be able to coach? Mm. Yeah, I mean when I went over, I met Steve and, and you know obviously he's a great guy and, and I felt like we got on well and, and I was really looking forward to it. And then I came over for summer league and uh, and I met him 
you know, in the hotel there and um, he was in, you know, a fair bit of pain with his, his sciatica and, and that sort of stuff. You know, he was struggling to, to walk at times and struggling to sit down for a bit. Um, and then he went home for his break and, and I went back to Oakland to sort of get myself settled in and then he, he had his surgery and he came back before training camp and, you know, I, I sat down with him one time to sort of have a chat about things and he could barely even look at me and, and that's not because of how I look either, um, you know, but he was, he was getting massive headaches and things like that and he was really battling um, and he tried to, you know, get through a bit of training camp but obviously he couldn't and then um, and, and Luke took over, you know, and so um no offense to Luke he was still uh let's say raw in, in the coaching especially as a head coach he'd never done it before you know so um he was learning on the job and I was learning about NBA and um yeah amazingly we we ended up going 24 and 0 or whatever it was so you're like this is easy <laughs> yeah. well it was funny because Luke used to come into the locker room and he he'd look at us and go he'd shake his head and he goes this isn't normal you know this doesn't happen in the NBA <laughs> we're like what are you talking about? This is easy, you know. So yeah, it, it was pretty funny, you know. Um, but we, yeah, you know, we all had a good time. The, the one thing about Luke is, is as you'd know, he's a he's a really good guy. He's, he's casual. He's easygoing, and and nothing really phases him too much. I mean, I'm not too sure how he how he went at the back end of the Lakers um, time, you know. But when he was at Golden State, he, you know, he, he was he's a great guy, and um, he, he was really good. And um, obviously they had some great players and had a great system set up from the year before and everything just flowed and, and rolled along really nicely. And, and he sometimes, you know, there's a saying that, um, you know, it's what you don't do that, that sometimes makes a difference. And he didn't try and change things too much. and He didn't try and, you know, be the man in charge and, and he just let the players play and, and you know, had a good feel for the game and, and things rolled on. So talk to me about your first, you know, experiences with Steph Curry. You know, you're coming over <laughs> and you're you're dealing with what is, you know, if he's not the Michael Jordan of this generation, he's pretty damn close yeah. to it. You're taking this job not just because it's the NBA, but you're you have a chance to work with one of the most remarkable athletes on the planet. Yeah, look, I mean, to be honest with you, like as I said, I hadn't followed the NBA closely. And so I obviously knew who Steph was. And once the Warriors started talking to me, I started watching games and, and obviously, um, you know, like everyone else, I'm in awe of what he can do. And then I got to Oakland after Summer League and most of the players weren't there. And there was just a couple. Steph was there. Um, obviously, he lived in Oakland. Um, and Harrison Barnes was around a fair bit. But I got, I got a chance to watch Steph train pretty much every day through that summer period. Um, and, you know, like... He's an amazing, he's an amazing basketball player. Obviously, he's a great athlete, and um, if you look at his physical characteristics, he doesn't stand out greatly. Like he's not the fastest, the strongest, the you know the greatest jump, but his what I'll call intramuscular and intermuscular coordination he is off the charts. You know, like his timing, his rhythm, his synchronicity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm sure you've been to practices and you see Steph shooting afterwards and, you know, he's shooting three-pointers and, and rarely misses, you know, like he'll have 100 three-point shots and if he's under 85, he's, he's filthy on himself and but he just doesn't miss, you know. And just that level of coordination and ability is unbelievable. But people think that, um, you know, oh, he's just naturally just gifted. He's the hardest working bloke on that team, without a doubt. And before I got there, Bob Myers and Steve Kerr said to me, when your best player on your team is the hardest working and the most humble 
player on your team, you know you're in a good spot. And that's that's Steph. He, he's the hardest working bloke out there, um, and he's he's the most humble bloke too. And and you know I was lucky because there weren't many people around. I got a chance to you know get to know Steph a bit, and he's one of the the really good guys of, of sport. And um, like I said, every every bit of success he has, he deserves because of the work that he puts in. And one of the things I liked about Steph was, you know, I'd, I'd come up with some ideas, thoughts that I thought would make him better. Some were good, some were maybe not so good, but... Wait, wait, I want to hear the not-so-good ones. I want to hear the not-so-good ones. <laughs> I'm not so sure. But, um, <laughs> you know, and some, some of them weren't, weren't you know, uh, anything extraordinary. But, you know, he'd look at me and he'd go, is this going to make me better? And I'm like, well, I think it will because of this, this, and this. And he's like, right, yeah, let's try it. You know, so he's always willing to try things. He, he didn't get stuck in his ways. He was always willing to try different things. If they worked, great. If they didn't, okay, we know not to go there. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably how he goes about his basketball training. He, he'll try try any way to get better. Some things will work and some things won't, but yeah. That's what amazes me about him is, uh, did you get a chance to work with Brandon Payne, his, uh, his uh, skills trainer? Not directly. Like obviously Brandon was there in that summer period when, um, when Steph was training and he was doing m- most of the work with Steph. And I got to watch Brandon as well, and and yeah, and again, he'll try many different things, and and I'm sure he, he's trying some things. Going, I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll have a go. And yeah, he, he, he evaluates whether it does or not, and so, um, and I think that gives him an edge and gives Steph an edge in that way as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, Brandon's a good fellow, and, and like I said, he's always willing to to look at different ways to get better. Yeah, which, they they do a lot of like neuromuscular efficiency stuff, which mm-hmm. I guess is a quick twitch, uh, quick efficiency and defi- decision making, and all that stuff. I feel like for for you, Lachlan, do you feel like that's kind of untapped with athletes today? Is is we do a lot of strength training, we do a lot of conditioning, mm-hmm. but how do we get inside? between the ears and try to, or the, the central nervous system. So, you know, your yeah. see, the game is slowing down. Like, like Steph Curry, I did a story a few years ago. He would mm-hmm. wear strobe light glasses in training. Yep. So it would, it would like black strobe lights would basically, we wear these glasses and you can only see, you know, uh, almost in slow motion. Everything's happening mm-hmm. in fast motion because your brain can't see a lot. And, and once you take the glasses off, theoretically, the game is supposed to slow down and your brain's mm-hmm. uh, perception, it starts firing a lot quicker because it had to basically work like a muscle where it had to, you know, you overload it like muscle. And then suddenly yep. the, the NBA game is slower. It feels slower. And so he would wear mm. these strobe light glasses, do these shooting routines, do these dribbling routines. And they really do believe that. Brandon and Brandon's uh, his skills trainer here in Charlotte, yep. uh, where I'm based. And I tried it, Lachlan, and it is so mm-hmm. hard. Like just tossing a tennis ball back and forth was impossible for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and th- there'll be a little bit of a learning effect with those sort of things as you go on, but it, you know, it, it changes your perception and um, you know your vestibular system and all those sort of things. And so, um, w- what it's doing is is just placing an overload or a stress on you that you have to learn how to overcome. And um, you know. I, I guess in some ways you make your your sporting actions more more unconscious or more natural, you know, like so you're not thinking about it because you're worried about other things. Um, but you, you're right, you know, like um, there's a guy called Andy Walsh who used to be with Red Bull. Um, he's an Australian fellow over there. But, you know, I've had a number of chats with Andy and, and it's like, you know, we, we sort of have a joking saying that there's only so many laps you can run. I think that once you get your level of physical preparation right, there's so many other aspects that, that will determine great athletes. Um, and one of them is that the whole mental, emotional 
psychological side of things. Uh, you know, like so, you look at things like the the vision, if you want to call it that, that Seth was doing, um, and some of that sort of work, the the neuromuscular um, coordination, um, and and then you go into things like um, flow states. And, and so there's a I don't know if you've read it, but there's a, a book by Stephen Kotler called The Rise of Superman, and, and he talks about the ability of of great athletes to get into a flow state where everything just happens and, and, you know, you mentioned that being in slow motion and things like that. And I hadn't read the book when I was there. I read it afterwards. But you think back and, and there's times when you can think about, you know, let's talk about Steph or a guy like Clay and they get into those zones where they're not missing, you know, and they can hit it from anywhere and they're just in that flow state. And, and players or athletes that can tap into that on a regular basis, um, you know, they're, they're the ones that are really going to excel. Um, and, and go beyond what your physical capacities are. Um, and so, you know, that, that's part of that, you know, higher-end training is, is that ability to perform under pressure and get, get people into those states, uh, you know, those flow states, so to speak. So yeah. um, I, I, think Def's, I think Steph's definitely uh, been able to do that. That seven-game road trip, uh, the last mm-hmm. game at Milwaukee, you play against mm-hmm. uh, the Bucks there. When we talk about physical endurance mm-hmm. you know we, we know what we're talking about you know uh, how, do you feel fatigued you know does your back hurt do you, yeah. are your calves just burning right but what about the mental side when you're when you're in the in the meat of the schedule there in december mm-hmm. seven game road trip utah to charlotte to toronto to brooklyn to indiana to boston to milwaukee and then you got to mm-hmm. go back to golden state to play at home for you, Lachlan, what was the toughest thing, just the mental grind of that of that stretch of schedule? Like, is it the sleep? Is it the motivation to get up and work the next day? Like, what is it that you appreciated in the season? Like, uh, your guy with the with the Cavs said, you got You got to just you got to just experience it. There's no way I can prepare you for it. Like, was that road trip a big wake up call for you? Oh, look, yeah, definitely. Obviously, the disruption to sleep is um, is massive. Um, for, for all NBA players and, and the schedule that they have to keep. You know, one of the things, you know, you spoke about mental fatigue and, and one of the things that I think made that Warriors team so good that year was their refusal to lose, especially when the odds were against them or, you know, so we lost that seventh game, but there are other games you're on the road and, you know, I, I don't have great experience in the NBA, but I've seen enough to understand it. You're on the road. You know, you're on your fourth, fifth, sixth game of a road trip. You know, you're playing The refs are against you. The crowd's against you. You're 10 points down in the fourth quarter. Let's just pack it in. We'll save our energy and we'll get ready for the next game. These guys never did that. They played out every game hard. And that's why they had such a great record, you know. And and so, um, you know, I I, I think possibly other teams will do that. And I think... In some ways, it's what made the team great because they got the greatest ever regular season record, but it probably hurt them in the end because they expended so much physical, mental and emotional energy getting to that state that they maybe didn't quite have enough left right at the end. Um, and, and, you know, like I had a bit of a chat to Steve about it at the end of the season and then you look at the Warriors, they've never gone close to that record. No way, nope. Because I think they realise the pitfalls of chasing it, um, you know, and what it can do to you at the back end when you really need every ounce of energy that you can get, mental, physical, emotional energy, you maybe have spent it earlier, uh, earlier on in the year. 
Yeah. Do you have more autonomy in Australia than you do in America? Oh, look, yeah, definitely. Like the role that I have now, um, uh, so I'm the head of performance at the rugby league, the Melbourne Storm Rugby League Club. My role is to coordinate my performance team um, in terms of all the physical preparation, but also to coordinate our training program. So in conjunction with the coaches, I'll develop the training program. I don't tell them what skill drills to do, but but I'll determine how we're going to train on certain days to get the physical uh, improvements that we need, as well as you know, making sure that I consider the skill requirements and, and development that they need to get from a technical and also a tactical team perspective as well. So, um, yeah, because my role is a lot more training-based. Um, and you have more training. As, as, exactly, exactly. In the so NBA what, schedule, how many practices did you have? Rarely, rarely, you know. And, 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 and to his credit, Steve, Steve obviously had him, having played the game um, and understanding – the the grind, as you mentioned, of of the NBA schedule, wouldn't we wouldn't train very hard, and and that's a smart thing to do because well, one, you had a very good team, so you probably didn't need to, but two, it was about making sure their energy was good for game time, and you know, there's there's two parts to training that people sometimes forget, and and one of it's a physical load, and the other's uh, you know a technical tactical improvement, and so. Teams that aren't as good probably need to train more because they need to improve the skills or the teamwork of their team, which may have a negative implication from the physical loading. You know, so there's a bit of a catch-22. But you know, I remember talking to one of my colleagues in a team that will remain nameless, um, and and you know, the GPS for for what it was worth in terms of the player load that you got, what they were doing on a morning shoot around before a game was more than what we did in a, tra- in a practice session two days out from a game. So some teams were trained a whole lot harder than us, but we didn't need to for whatever reason. And, and yeah. So, so. That, that's, that's what I want to get into here is because the, it feels like you, as a, as a, as a professional uh, in mm-hmm. the NBA, you probably don't get to do the things that make you wake up in the morning and grind or, or get to work every day and get excited because the NBA schedule does not allow for much training, much practice. And so, and not only that in the NBA, they don't allow wearables in games. And so you're Mm -hmm. not getting the training load data or the load workload data in games that you might get in the rugby league. Um, and it, and it seems like you're comparing apples to oranges where you're in practice. Very rarely do you get to, um, track the workloads of players, uh, which help you design your programs, uh, your training schedules. And not only that, Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't practice, but even if you do the measurements, you're not allowed to measure those same things in the games because the CBA doesn't allow it. So how difficult was that is, um, you know, you, you you strap on a catapult vest or, or whatever GPS mm-hmm. tracker you want um, in practice, but in games you're just you're having to translate the sport view data and say, all right, this mm-hmm. guy traveled this many uh, miles in this game, and he had this many accelerations and decelerations. But in practice, you're really not having the same data, and it just seems like you're translating between one language to another. And that was one of the difficult things. And, and obviously as someone that wasn't in depth with basketball as much as, as others, so I was still learning the game. And I think from my, my background, you know, like I understand um, movement and, and performance, but then the, the skill of the sport, you, you have to spend some time learning that. And so the information that you'd get, as you mentioned from GPS, was totally different to what you'd get from the sport view cameras and you couldn't compare the two. 
Um, so th- there wasn't a any sort of commonality between the, between the two, and, and you couldn't really compare um, or make judgments on. So th- the interesting thing was that you know everyone talked about you know using the GPS. Well, we had more games than we did training sessions or practice sessions. Yeah. So we got more sport view data than what we did GPS data. So the sport view data was was actually the most useful than the GPS data. Now, if Which they is have the GPS there in Australia, I'm guessing you use yeah. the GPS. Well, we can use GPS in games. So we have a one form of measurement across the board. So you know things like that were were frustrating, I guess. Um, and again, this has not been derogatory, but I get more enjoyment from my job now than what I did there because I feel that. I can have a bigger impact. Yes. Um, you know, and, and that's that's primarily schedule based. Um, if I was a basketball coach, you know, obviously I'm going to have a big impact because you're playing in basketball nearly every day. But as a, as a head of performance slash physical preparation, you know, there's a lot less that you do because of because of the schedule. Do you yeah. think Do you think if you could redo that season, you would take some games off and try to try to prepare for the postseason? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I had some conversations with Steve at the time, um, you know, and eventually, you know, I hope I'm not talking out of school too much, but, you know, Steve and Bob put it to the players, you know, do you want to go after the record or not? Because this is this is your season and, and your chance at a record and do you want to do that? And some players did and some didn't, and, but the majority uh, did. And so if you're going after the record, you probably need to play your better players I felt like we needed to rest some some of the players. It's interesting if we had arrested some and they lost some more games and maybe didn't get the record. I don't think there would have been that emotional pressure throughout that that playoffs and finals because you're chasing perfection, one, right? <laughs> absolutely. You know, once they got the record, then anything less than winning the finals was going to be a, a, a total failure. And um, you know, you had some of the guys from the the '72 and '10 Chicago Bulls saying, you know. Without the ring, it don't mean a thing, or whatever the hell they're saying was, and all that sort of stuff, you know. And, and so, um, I think all those little things add up, and and people think, well, that shouldn't affect how you play on the basketball court. But there's that emotional pressure that you carry all the time that it does, um, you know. So yeah, I felt like we should have rested some players, one, purely from a physical point of view, just to freshen them up, you know, because it is a long season. Um, but looking back, I also think from a mental and emotional point of view, it probably would have been good too. And like I said, they've never gone after that record and they've not come close. And I think they realize that too. So well, obviously you have an Australian accent. How much did mm-hmm. buy-in from players, you know, when you said, hey, man, I really think you should do this. Like when you talk to Steve, mm-hmm. he obviously has your respect um, and he understands mm-hmm. your value. But when it comes to players, you might be an alien to them. The funny thing is, like you know, we uh, we speak the same words, but we speak a different language. You know, like uh, I still remember there was a guy called Brandon Russia. Uh, you know, I assume you still remember oh, yeah. him. And Brandon was funny. You know, like I'd talk to him and, and I'd say you know a couple of sentences. You know, blah blah blah. And he'd look at me and he'd go, "I have no damn idea what you just said to me." Then, <laughs> like I didn't think I was talking fast. And and then he'd say something back to me, and I'd be just looking at him going, "What the hell did you just say?" Um, and so we had we had a few different phrases and terminologies. One of the things that uh, you know I, I asked players over here and I asked over there was, "How do you pull up today?" And uh, they'd look at me, "Pull up? <laughs> what do you mean pull up?" And I'd be like, "You know, I was sort of like stumped because no one had ever asked me to explain what pull up meant." And I'm like, oh, um, "How how are you feeling? How did you how did you pull up? How did you how did you recover from yesterday's session?" Oh yeah yeah yeah. 
Anyway, I asked one of the players, you know, I won't name him. I said, how did you pull up today? And he looked at me and he went, same as yesterday, in my BMW. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're not talking the same language here. So, but, you know, in Australia, there's, um, there's a, I don't want to say compliance, but if you ask people to do things like wear a GPS unit or do something, they, they just do it. Um, whereas over there, there's a lot more player power, if that's the right word. Um, autonomy maybe, I don't know what you want to call it, but the players don't have to do anything. So they don't want to wear the GPS unit, they don't. Okay, that's cool. But you would have to learn how to like – uh, communicate with them like how like you're you're probably in the middle of the season being like I just want them to wear this thing how do I get that to happen yeah well so obviously you know in the in the training camp they would wear it um, and then because they, they, they had been introduced to it the year before I looked at you know using some heart rate data as well off, off first beat um, and and some of the players were really interested in that and they'd come over during training and see what their heart rate was and more about am I higher than him or you know that sort of stuff um, the, the problem for me was the GPS data didn't give you anything meaningful because at that time it didn't give you a distance. It just gave you this thing called a player load. So oh, I'm 680. What does that mean? Well, you know, how do I explain that? Um, so it was hard to get buy-in in that way. The players were pretty good compared to what I heard from other teams. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. They, they, they wouldn't wear it on a shoot-around. And, um, you know, obviously we had Andrew Bogut there and he'd, he'd grown up through the you know, Australian Institute of Sport and things like that. So he was pretty good with things like this. He's like, mate, we don't wear any shoot around. And I'm like, well, how do I know how, how you're going? Well, what you're doing in this? He goes, he said, I'll tell you what, if Steph wears it in shoot around, I'll wear it in shoot around. And Steph was really good. You know, like he'd do anything you ask. I said, oh, Steph, you want to wear this in shoot around? He goes, looks at me, he goes, shoot around. We don't wear any shoot around. And I'm like, I'm fighting a losing battle here. I'll just give it up and not worry about shoot around. But, you know, um, I guess it was up to me to try and convince them of why I thought it was beneficial and, and um, you know, to be honest with you, there was at times when I, I struggled to even find whether it was from my point of view because it wasn't giving me meaningful data. The sport view gave you interesting or meaningful data. But, you know, we, we had other things that we did. You know, as an example, we did some blood testing with the players um, and we looked at things, you know, basic things, magnesium levels, vitamin D levels, those sort of things that we could supplement based off that and and most of the players got on board with that because they could see that, okay, if my vitamin D levels are down, that will affect me in certain ways. Um, so if I take this supplement, you know, I can improve that. Okay, that, that's a good thing. Um, so that, you know, that, that actually we, makes sense to them, whereas, hey, your player load was yeah. 683 today. we gotta, we got to pull back. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I was struggling to make sense of it as well at times. But, um, yeah, so so things like that would, would be obviously beneficial, you know, like, um, we tried to, you know, and there was obviously a bit of publicity about it, but, you know, educate them in terms of, of eating better and, and, and nutrition, um, you know, and, and other ways, you know, like different different forms of recovery. Obviously, there was, a, you know, a bit of publicity around, you know, the float tanks that we used and, th- and things like that. So there was, there was things we that We just they got could... a float tank down the street, like the, from Did my you? house. Yeah, there's, okay. there's a new yeah, float right. tank spa, and I'm, I haven't tried okay. it. It's $44 for the first one, and I'm like – I think I'm gonna dig it. I think I'm gonna like it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, but yep. but other people, like my wife, she would never ever do that. Like, she thinks it's yeah, the scariest yeah. thing. Like, why would you want to be yeah. in a coffin? <laughs> like, why would yeah, you want yeah. that? Um, yeah. But I, I, so talk to me about the float tanks because that seems like um, one of those things that it, you guys were doing in 2016, but even now it's just starting to take hold in America. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'd use it with with athletes that I work with. In Australia for probably ten years before that, you know, really? different times, different, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you guys are so you guys are so smart, man. You guys are way well, ahead of the curve. Not not really. Like they've been <laughs> around for a long time, but um, you know, there's there's obviously a physical benefit from it in terms of. Um, you know, the high salt content and therefore magnesium, which can be absorbed through the skin. Most people are deficient in magnesium. Um, what does magnesium do for a, you? Like why do I need magnesium? Oh, it, it's a basic um, builder of cells. It, it has a lot of different benefits. You know, one of the things is it will also help you sleep better. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so there's, there's plenty of different different um, benefits of magnesium. But I got a kid coming. I'm going to just chug magnesium pills. I'm just going to pound it. Absolutely. You know, I mean, just lying in, in a in a weightless environment is obviously relaxing. But, you, you know, the biggest thing that I felt for especially the NBA boys and, and probably, you know, athletes of today is you can't take your phone in there, right? Yeah. So you've got to leave your phone outside for an hour so no one can bother you. So you're there alone with your own thoughts and you can just relax and chill out. And, and I think that's a massive benefit for, for any athlete is, is the fact that you can just – Get some peace and quiet away from, you know, any sort of social media or, or any people trying to contact you. You can relax. You're in a good physically um, improving environment, so to speak. Yeah. So. And I think Steph you know, took to it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loved it. Um, but but they're they're just sort of like the, you know, I, I, I sort of talk about a recovery period. They're the little things at the top. Um, for me, the the foundation is things like your lifestyle and nutrition. Uh, yeah, you know, and those sort of things. Like you need to get those aspects right, and then you get things like float tanks to to top it all off. So, um, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's lots of different things. Yeah, you know, a basic pool recovery. Like, uh, you know, when I got there, Steph hadn't really done a pool recovery, which is a really basic form of recovery that we do over here. You know, Clay had never done those. I got those guys doing them at times. That they both found them beneficial. Um, so explain yeah, other players. Oh, basically, you jump in a pool, you, you you do a whole bunch of different movements, walking, jogging, running, you know, lunging, etc. You move around. This you is do before, some stretches after in there. practice, uh, after games? What no, is this? No, normally after practice, after games, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a, just a, another means of recovery. It's it's pretty easy, pretty simple. Um, but, you, you know, most of the time guys feel better for it. Um, yeah, yeah, just, just little things like that you can do um, that'll help. Did, uh, so, did you get a chance to see Steph's um, popcorn obsession? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Could you yes. get him off that? Mark Stein at the New York Times did a great story about this, and he was on the pod a, a few weeks ago, or a few months okay. ago. And so, so popcorn and Steph, uh, had, yeah. have you ever seen superstition like this or obsession like this with an athlete and its food? No, it's crazy. And the problem is that all the um, all the venues know about it. So, you know, so I think it was in New Orleans one time. He got the biggest damn box of popcorn i've ever seen or well, it wasn't a box it was a plastic tube it was crazy yeah so i think they all try and outdo each other but yeah it's funny isn't it, it would, yeah. but so, you as as a guy who's big on nutrition you're like i mean yeah. uh, can we can we can we not do this <laughs> yeah 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 look i mean it, it's probably not the greatest thing to have but hey it's Steph, right so he yep. can do what he wants mm, yeah yeah so the uh, so the season that season you go into the playoffs and Steph turns his ankle in that game one I think it was against Houston. Now mm-hmm. everything up until that point it wasn't that it was easy, but the adversity had hit for the first time in a really substantial way. So you, as the director of performance, what are you thinking at that moment when you see not just the, the ankle and he's out for a couple of games, but the MCL injury? Were you just like, oh, 
we might not do this thing. No, I certainly wasn't thinking that at the time, you know. Obviously, the ankle wasn't such a big deal, but the MCL was. And, and as you know, it was, it was a freak thing. Um, I think it was Harden tripped up someone and then they slid and, you know, Steph slipped in their sweat patch on the floor, you know. So, as I say, it happens at times. And, mm-hmm. and so, but, you know, Steph does with everything, was very diligent in his rehab. But it's, it's not exactly the thing that you want to have as you're in playoffs and, and trying to progress through because, you know, there's a period when they when you can't function normally. Um, and to me, basketball's it's a skill-dominant sport and it's, it's very much a rhythm sport, you know, and if you've got your shooting rhythm and your playing rhythm, um, you know, you're good. And if you have to stop for a week or two, then you might lose that rhythm and it takes you a little while to get back. And obviously he came back, I think it was a game against Portland was his first game back and he came off the bench and blitzed it, but he probably wasn't as smooth and flowing as what he had been throughout the season because, yeah, you, you just miss time and and therefore you, you sort of get out of rhythm a little bit. You know, I, I don't know what you, you were watching it. What did you think? How did you think he, he looked coming back? Oh, he looked great. I'm back. I'm back. I remember it like mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I think one of the things that um, I, I wonder about is how much is it your call, Lachlan? How much is it the coach's call? How much is it the agent's call? How much is it Steph's mm-hmm. call? In these decisions, mm-hmm. uh, I'd imagine things are different here in America than it is in Australia where – Hey, you have an idea of whether this guy's ready to play and whether you're overruled or whether it's a collaborative approach. That's what happened with Kevin Durant this this uh, this mm. postseason is it was described to me as a collaborative approach, which to me, mm-hmm. it sounds like this was Kevin and th- this isn't any inside information, but it seems like Kevin mm-hmm. being the best player in the world, one of the best players in the world in the finals. I mean, come on, you're going to tell this guy not to play? I mean, it seems yeah. like this is a really difficult political situation is you might have one voice, one powerful voice from the medicine side saying, I don't know. Or or you might Mm -hmm. have a player saying, I don't know. How does that meeting go down? Like when you have Steph Curry, who's playing unbelievable basketball, he wants to be out there every single day because he's competitive. Mm -hmm. He, his team is, you know, playing for its life. How do those conversations go? And, and versus your, your experiences in Australia. Yeah, sure. Look, if we talk about the Steph situation, I'll talk about something earlier on in the year as well. But, you know, with Steph, it was very much a collaborative approach, you know, like um, medical staff, physical staff, coaching staff were all part of that throughout about how he was going and where he, where he was at and what he needed to do to progress on to the next stage. And and then when did he feel like he was ready? And, and obviously Steph's a, you know, an unbelievable competitor, um, which people often miss. Because um, I think he's just a flashy three-point shooter, but he's an unbelie- unbelievable competitor. And so he wanted to get out there as quickly as he could. Um, but he also understood that if he came back too early, you know, he could, I guess, hinder his progress. So um, it, it was very much a collaborative thing. And, and when everyone felt he was ready, he was right to play. And, and Steve pretty much left the decision to him and us in a way. But he was ready and he came back. And it's interesting. So here in here in Australia, and, and this is not – saying it's better or worse it's just how it is is most of the time you're holding players back they they'll tell you that they're ready before they're ready you know because they just want to get out and play um in the nba and this is what one of the things i learned was with guaranteed contracts and a long 82 game season regular season there's not the either the pressure nor the overwhelming desire to get back earlier than necessary um, and especially if players are in a contract year. 
Um, you know, and so there was times when players were probably, I felt ready to come back, but they didn't believe they were and they might have waited another week or two or, you know, things things were a lot slower than what you might normally expect um, elsewhere. And and They're just a little bit more conservative, I guess, just like, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's just make sure absolutely. I'm extra feeling right, you know. Yeah, absolutely, you know, and, and you know, I, I probably found that frustrating at first, but I, I, I look back and I understand because, um, you know, if you're coming into a contract year and you mess something up, then you may lose a whole lot of money, um, a lot of money, you know. And so they obviously wanted to get things right. And, and as I said, you know, you've got an 82-game season and, you know, if you miss another three or four games, it's not a big deal. Whereas if you miss three or four games out of a 24-game season, that that's a much bigger mm-hmm. deal. So, um, yeah, there, there were obviously differences there. Like I said, sometimes I felt like you had to push players back more than pull them back or, or stop them. So, But most of the time it, it's going to be a collaborative approach between – the medical staff, the physical staff, and the coaching staff, and everyone has to work together, um, you know, to ensure that all components of that player in terms of their injury rehabilitation or, or healing, their physical preparation and also their skill development is, is coming along. Um, you know, you can't just focus on one area and ne- neglect the other. So everyone has to work together in that way. Did you did you watch the finals this year? The um, bits and pieces. It, yeah, it, they were on around about 11 o'clock during the day for us um and so you know that we're in the middle of training and so yeah <laughs> we, we we might have a day off and i'd get home and watch some um yeah it, so it was you crazy mostly like keep track of it just uh you oh know, yeah reading yeah. about yeah. it or watching highlights or something yeah 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 and and you know like um you may not know this but most of our players are big into the nba like they love to know what's going on and so they're all they're all knowing what's going on. They're all telling me the scores and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it, it, it's big over here. It's very popular, especially amongst all the football players. So, yeah, I know I kept track of it. It was, it was crazy. You know, like, um, you know, I felt for the Warriors this year, like the amount of injuries they had. And, yeah, it was crazy. When you watch the NBA Finals this year, uh, mm-hmm. the biggest storylines were about the injuries. Where mm-hmm. It was KD uh, and his calf mm-hmm. injury, and then it manifests mm-hmm. itself into a torn Achilles do you get yeah. uh, do you do you put aside the fan in you or just like the the non professional and just say can you watch that stuff without thinking uh, putting your your performance or sports medicine hat on or do you, are you always just thinking okay uh, if I was in this position this is how I would handle this situation yeah mo- most of the time I, I you know I'm always thinking about okay what's he done you know when when would he when would I think he'd be going to come back depending on what t- what's been reported in terms of the severity of it. Yeah, and so, yeah, obviously the fact that Kevin Durant took so long to come back from what was originally like just a calf injury made me think that, you know, it was probably a bit more than just a calf injury. It's probably a more severe calf injury. And, and yeah, you know, you're always looking and saying, okay, that's taking longer than I thought. I wonder what's going on, you know? Yeah. And KD, what what about him in your experience? Is there anything physically that uh, that makes – NBA players more susceptible to these types of injuries. Do you see Achilles injuries in in rugby league or uh, in Aussie rules football, or are there more ACL injuries versus the NBA players mm. because they're just taller and they're thinner? I'd imagine they're not as as muscly as uh, as some of yeah. your uh, Aussie rules football or or rugby guys. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, definitely they're they're not anywhere near as muscular because they don't one they don't need to be, and two would probably be detrimental if you're trying to jump high. If you carry an extra bulk, you know, like rugby league players have extra bulk because they 
run into each other very, very, very quickly and, and try and hurt each other. Um, so extra box, good. Um, look, yeah, you know, every sport has their own, I guess, what you might call injury profile. Rugby league and, and AFL, Australian rules football, have you know a number of ACL injuries. Um, you know, most clubs probably average one or two a year um, because of one, the contact, and two, um, you know, there's also non-contact ACL injuries um, because of the sheer force of, of their stepping and and twisting, turning, and that sort of yeah, stuff. And a cleat, I'd imagine, is not good for that, right? It's just a yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and you know, there's some studies done looking at different grasses and all that sort of stuff. So there's there's a whole bunch of factors, but um, there's not as many Achilles injuries um, as as what there is in in the NBA, and you know, a lot of NBA players they're very, um, I guess you could say probably tenderness, you know, and, and that's what makes them good NBA players because they they've got long tendons which helps them to to jump. Um, so maybe there's, there's extra stress, you know, like. I don't know how many times I'd jump in a, in a year, like looking at games and training and that sort of stuff. But obviously there's a stress there. You know? and, 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 and you can't track that. That's what's amazing to me is that mm-hmm. the, the GPS monitoring or sport view, they, they measure basically X, Y, but they never really mm. measure the Z, which I think is, is – or the impact of landing. I feel like it's yeah, such a yeah. big part of your readiness to play and your fatigue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, And so yeah, you know, I, I have no idea why Kevin Durant's Achilles went. Everyone's got their own little um, theory and speculation, but um, unless you're part of it, you don't know. And you know, maybe, maybe it had nothing to do with his calf injury. Maybe it had something to do. I, I, I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate on that. You know, it, it's all I see it is is a tragedy for a, a great basketball player that he's that he's going to miss close to a year because of injury. You know, and, and that's always a, the sad thing about any injury, especially a long term injury. You know, I, I look at Clay like. Obviously, Kevin Durant wasn't there when I was, but um, Clay was, and you know, Clay's, Clay's a great guy. And to see him go down with that ACL, uh, yeah. like, I, I had a feeling that the Warriors were probably going to win that game six if he stayed out there. But and then who knows what happens in game seven, you know? But to see him go down like that, how many times would Clay have gone up? You know, for, I don't know whether it was a dunk or a layup, gone up and then you know come down. He's he's had some contact on the way down, but he's had that before. You know, how many times would he have done that in his in his career? And this one time, he happens to do his ACL, and that's that's the fickle nature of sport. And and you know the uh, tragedy is not the right word because you know you, you reserve tragedy for for yeah. serious sort of things. But you know it's just an incredibly unfortunate event for him, and it's a shame because people don't get to see the brilliance of Clay Thompson for for most of next year. Um, yeah, which is always sad to see because great players you want to see them out there playing. Well, not, in this in this not, particular, not yeah, yeah, in this in this particular finals, the the storyline was Kawhi Leonard, and right mm-hmm. now I think everyone yes. hates uh, Australian sports scientists like <laughs> yourself, or because they're like the load management. What is yeah, like this, yeah, this whole yeah. taking off games and resting? And and he took off. Yeah. I mean, whether you want to say it was his knee or whether it was rest, it was twenty two games yeah. in a regular season. Do you think that this is? And I'm still grasping with this is whether. It, this is going to take off is that, that you're going to see superstars uh, take days off in the schedule back-to-backs more than ever, or whether it was just a one-player blip where Kawhi Leonard mm. played nine games the the previous season and he didn't know if he was going to be able to endure an 82-game plus mm. the playoffs. So we had an anomaly, an outlier of outliers with Kawhi Leonard, but he did win the finals. He did win finals MVP. He is considered now... Mm. 
if not the best, one of the best players in the league. Um, so do you feel like the NBA is still in its nascent stages with load management? I don't even know what they call it in, in Australia, yeah. but just the, you know, the resting s- strategies and, and yeah. making sure they're, uh, they're in top shape for the, for the season. As you said, it was, it's a compromised NBA schedule, but do you think mm. um, the culture in the NBA uh, is healthy for this conversation? Yeah, look, yeah, good question. Many parts to it. Um, I know when I tossed up for some of our players to rest games, they felt that uh, not manly is, is not the right word, but you know what I mean? It was, it was a bit of a, well, was it macho? Well, NBA it wasn't macho to rest. Well, it, it, it probably wasn't. But, you know, I remember early on I spoke about that professionalism of doesn't matter how you're feeling, you just get your boots or you sneakers on and, and get out there and play. And there's a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, obviously back in the, the old days, you know, they used to play all 82 games and all that sort of stuff. And and sometimes they used to fly in normal airlines, not yeah. not charter planes and, and that sort of stuff. So was it harder? I don't know. Was the game faster or slower back then? Everyone talks about it's a faster game. It's, it's more stressful now. You know, there are always those, those battles. But I think – I, I hate the term load management just because it sounds, you know, it's a bit of a wank word in a way. But, <laughs> y- 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 you know, like the Spurs w- were resting players for ages. Um, and it, what, what, what are you trying to do? You're trying to balance up aspects of fitness and fatigue. So obviously playing games will, will give you a certain level of game fitness, which is what you need to, to excel. But too many games will give you a level of fatigue, which might – impact your ability to perform. And so you're always trying to balance that fitness and fatigue to, to get the best result for your player or for a player and, and then also for the team. Um, and how do you balance that? Do you rest only one player? Do you rest a number of players all at once, you know, which might have a detrimental effect on team performance for one or two games, but rather than resting one or two throughout. You know, so what, you're just trying to make sure that your players get to the end of the season when they need to perform at their best in the best physical shape they can be in. As I mentioned, like basketball, to me, there's a bit of a rhythm sport. So if you rest too much, you might lose some of that rhythm. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so there's all those different factors. You could rest players by not having them practice but only playing games or you could rest them by letting them practice but not playing games. You know? And so like, like a few weeks ago, we rested four of our players because that, on top of our season, they have a thing called a state of origin, which is basically like a, a serious all-star game um, where they – they pick the two best teams from two states and, and they go all out. And it's it's the highest level of game that we have. And they play three of those games in between all the regular season games. So we had a number of players that played all three games and then they'd play that game. And then two days later, they'd back up for us. And they did that a number of times. And we just felt like we need to give them a week off. You know, and they we gave them the whole week off. They didn't play the game. They went off on a holiday, did whatever they wanted. But we felt that was best for their physical, mental and emotional well-being to freshen them up before we started our running towards the playoffs. And so, um, you know, everyone's going to be different. Every player's different. We had one player that didn't want to miss a game, but he wanted to have the, you know, he, he took the time off training. But you need to adjust it to suit different individuals and you need to to do what you think is right to make sure your team's performing at your best. But you guys in um, Australia, you have grown up in this culture with AIS, right? Like you've grown in this culture of, you know, having, like I don't think it's any coincidence, Lachlan, that, the guy who wore wearables in the NBA during games, which is breaking the rules, was mm-hmm. Matthew Della Vadova. 
yep. was wearing a whoop device in games mm-hmm. to track his load, yep. uh, his For strain sure. levels. I don't think it's a coincidence that he was doing that uh, because he is from a different uh, a different mm-hmm. culture from an athletic standpoint. Is that this is all just you know this is all just second nature. Is you're trying to manage your your fatigue levels and making sure that you're in in top shape. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you also have to look at what's your motivation. So for for Matthew and I don't know Matthew. I've met him once, but um, you know through my mate at the Cavs, but. Um, he obviously wanted to find out information about himself and how he was going and, and what's going to make him better. Some players looked at that sort of gathering of information is how is it going to be used against me? Yeah. Um, not how is it going to be used to help me? How is it going to be used against me? And so it comes down to a mindset and, and what do you want to do? And, and maybe that's an education thing from the outset. But, you know, obviously the NBA is a fairly cutthroat business and players have their agents and, and it seems like sometimes they're a little team of their own mm-hmm. um, and they, you know, they go about their business. And I felt like here in Australia, players have a much greater affiliation to the organisation that they're with and uh, they feel a part of it, not as though that organisation is just waiting to to screw them over, so to speak. Which What's I, the salary cap in your league? Ah, uh, yeah. So, so for our league, it's about nine and a half million dollars. So, <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that, that's think, about what a quarter of a year for Steph. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's the Australian dollar, which is worth about seventy US cents. So, <laughs> oh, sorry, the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, and, and that's what I said. The the money over there is astronomical, and if you play one year here in Australia, you won't set yourself up for life. If you play one year on a good contract over there at $20 million a year, you've set yourself up for life if you look after yourself and manage your finances properly. So, um, yeah, obviously there's there's those sort of factors. Lachlan, you're you're now the commissioner of the NBA. The owners (laughs) come to you and say, hey, Lachlan, we think you know best from the entertainment Mm -hmm. side. Forget about the entertainment Mm -hmm. side just from a performance side and you want to see the best NBA players perform at their best and have the best mm-hmm. regular season from a performance standpoint and just, man, they're, they're playing great basketball. They look fresh. They look healthy. They're dunking more. They're playing harder. What is Lachlan Penfold? How many games are in an NBA season? Right now it's 82. What does mm-hmm. Lachlan Penfold think the sweet spot is? Good question. Lots smarter people than me have been waiting with that. You know, I would think somewhere around about three games a week is probably the max that you'd want to do. Um, and that's, you know, so if you're going to play an away game, you need to have a day to travel and then you play the next day and then you travel somewhere else. And you not um, have you're back not to doing back. To back. Yeah. No, no. Um, and that sort of thing. So as I said, if you if you fly out somewhere, you land at 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, you go to the hotel, you get up and you play the next day, you're not, you're not in your best performance state. Um, and so, you know, you, you should have a day between games. Um, you know, you could probably play a back-to-back at home because you're not travelling, you know, so you might get four games in, in a week or, you know. But, but I think, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe 60 games um, or maybe, you, you know, you might shorten the length of the season as well. But, you know, I, I think it's a bit of a moot point in the fact that until everyone – if people want to reduce the number of games in the season, everyone has to accept less money because the TV networks are paying you X amount of dollars for so many games. If you reduce that by 25%, expect a 25% reduction in money. Revenue for the teams, revenue for the players, is everyone prepared to do that? You know, And so yeah. that's one of your biggest biggest limiting arguments. 
do I think it compromises your your performance in a game? Absolutely, playing the amount that they do. Is it going to change? In my opinion, probably not, because money's one of the main driving forces, isn't it? It is. It is. And the the interesting thing is that, as you know, national TV games, the guys get up for those, right? The national TV mm-hmm. games. Absolutely. Um, and those Absolutely. don't change. Like in a shortened schedule, if there's 70 games, 60 games, you still have the same mm-hmm. amount of national TV games. What it is is the local teams, uh, the revenue yep. from their broadcast gets hit. But I will say this, you know, when you, when you look at, uh, you know, your readiness to play you know right now they've, they've cut down on number of back-to-backs they are doing mm-hmm. what they can to eliminate yep. that fatigue as much as they can while keeping with an 82 game schedule but mm-hmm. what, do, what do you think about mid-season tournaments you just talked about that that serious uh, all-star mm-hmm. game with the two teams from the two different states or, or the regions what do you think about the nba doing like i don't know what you would how it would look but just like a, a mid-season tournament to just break things up and, mm. and create, you know, create some some sort of excitement in the middle of the in the season and break things up. My opinion, when I was there, the All Star break. When does it come? At about 50, 55 games, yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Usually it's and a so little, what little ha- bit earlier, but um, but okay. in, in, yep. in recent years, it's yeah, in mid February. So so what happens is is you play all those games and then you get a week off, except for the best players in the game, and they have to go to the circus that becomes the NBA All-Star game and there's all the media and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and you know, like, let's be honest, the game's not um, high intensity, but they don't get a break. So they're the guys that probably need the break because they're carrying the load for most teams or for their team. And they're the ones that don't get the break. The All-Star break was great because everyone got away for a week and, and relaxed except for the best players in the game. And, and they've got to do it. And, and, and you know, it was used to be a, a weekend. That was it. It used to be just an yeah, All-Star yeah. weekend. Until LeBron was like, come on, guys. Yeah, but you can make more money extending it out and all those sort of things. There's a lot more TV that you can do. And, um, you know, that that serious all-star game that I talk about for us, um, as a spectator, you love to watch those games. As a, as a professional involved with a team that contributed a large amount of players, I hate it because <laughs> all you're doing is increasing a player's risk of injury and having them come back to you fatigued and in a state where they're probably more susceptible to injury for the next game. And then you've got to manage them later on. As I said, we we rested a bunch of players because they've got this fatigue from playing extra games. So I know what you're saying in terms of breaking the season up or something like that, but the guys that need to break the most are the ones that won't get it. You know, and so are they representing yeah, to... the storm when they play in these all-star games or is it just a totally no. different animal? Yeah, so so there's two states in Australia that are big in rugby league, Queensland and New South Wales, and they represent their state. So there's a representative feel to it as well, you know. So, and again, not having to go to your all-star game, but the, the east and the west, it doesn't really mean anything. But if it was California versus Texas, oh yeah, and you're a Californian that was playing against Texas, it would really mean something. And so that's what these games do. Um, they, they mean something from that state-based perspective as well you know i think that's the big invention for the nba is if you can somehow tap into like la guys from mm-hmm. la versus guys in new york versus new york. guys in maryland yep. or florida yeah, yeah. chicago then you get some real real all-star games is like if you get yeah, all absolutely. the chicago players who grew up in yep. chicago like anthony davis going against the mm-hmm. la guys man that would be a lot of fun Absol- so they do that already in in australia yeah, because pride's on the line, right? Because you want to yeah. represent your hometown and prove that you're the best hometown. So, yeah, absolutely. So, But back to the original question, a mid-season tournament, no, have a mid-season break and give everyone a week off. But then, obviously, there's no games on TV for a week. So, 
the TV's worry about losing viewers and will people come back to watch it and all that sort of stuff. But like I said, the guys that need the break the most are the guys that don't get it. Um, so it always sort of struck me as a bit strange. How you fix it? Smarter blokes than me are going to have to work that one out. Do you have Golden State Warriors merchandise? Like, are you still a fan of the Warriors? Or are you like, that That chapter of my life is behind me? Obviously, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still a fan. Like, um, I have some great memories of my time there. And, and you know, I was lucky enough to, um, you know, share a season with some great players. And, and you know, as I said, you know, I admire, you know, guys like Steph, um, Clay, you know, Draymond, um, you know, he's an un- unbelievable competitor, you know, so guys like that, um, you know, Andrew Bogus back in Australia again, and you know, I caught up with him before he went off to play in the locals league and then over to the Warriors. Um, so yeah, no, look, I, I definitely, um, yeah, there's a soft spot there. Um, you know, as I said, I was, I was hoping that they were going to win it this year, but unfortunately they didn't. Um, but one, one of the things, um, I don't watch, as I said to you, because of the time and, and when it's on, I don't get to watch the games a lot. Um, but one of the things that I felt when I was there is they play a great style of basketball. It, it's, it's fun to watch it. You know, I, I think, I think they play basketball the way basketball should be played. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm not a basketball person, you know, so, um, you know, people may say, well, what does he know? But it involves the team. There's ball movement. The old one where they one bloke just sort of dribbles it down and you know backs up to the post and that sort of stuff. That that's not that's not exciting. That's not fun to watch. I don't think anyway. The the purist might say it is, but for me, like they played a great great brand of basketball, and you just want to see excellence in in any sort of sport. You you want to see people performing at their best and and being the best and playing sport the way it should be. You know, with joy, and that, and that was one of their. Um, you know, trademark, so to speak, to play with joy, and they did. Yeah, you can see that. Um, you know, and the way you know those guys played, they they played with joy, and, and that's a great thing about sport. And even with a grizzled, you know, roster like they did with Andre Iguodala and and, and yeah. Andrew Bogut, like you had some mm. really older veterans on that team that mm. they, they've been through the grind for ten years, and they mm-hmm. still you know want to come in every day and, and have fun. So yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, you know, and guys like you know Bogues, like yeah, you know, he, he in my mind I thought he was a very unselfish player because he could have you know played a more traditional centre role, but he was a great distributor and he orchestrated mm. a lot of stuff, you know, and so a lot of the attacks flowed through him because of how he chose to play, you know, and he, and he sacrificed himself for the team. Well, I wouldn't say sacrifice himself, but you know he gave into the team or gave himself to the team to to perform at their best and allow guys like Stephen Clay to shine because. They'd get open and, and hit some great shots, and that, and that's what team sports about. It's how do you function as a team to get the best out of everyone, and that's what they did. I thought, mm-hmm. no doubt. Well, it's going to be mm. a new season for them um, without mm. Clay for much of the season. No Durant, but you're going to see a lot more Steph and Draymond, which I think is going to be really fascinating to watch. Um, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And you're you're coming up on your finals, or I guess your playoffs. Yes. Um, yeah, playoffs. I, yeah. I have a quick yes. question for you uh, on our way sure. out here. What is a rabbit toe? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that's one of the teams um, that we play, in. and so their their symbol is a rabbit. Um, but back in the early 1900s, a, a rabbit o was a bloke that used to um, kill and skin rabbits and sell them um, for people to eat. So a rabbit o was a, a fellow that used to kill rabbits and skin them and, and sell them on the streets. Wait, but the yeah. logo is a rabbit? That seems yeah. pretty morbid, right? 
Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, rabbit is a right. rabbit hunter and the the, yep. the the mascot is a rabbit. Yes, yes, wow. indeed. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. So the the, um, yeah. the season's coming to a close. You guys play mm-hmm. once a week. So you guys, I'm guessing you're playing this weekend. Best of luck to you on the rest of the season. Uh, it Thank was you. a really great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Lachlan. Yeah, no, no, it's a pleasure to to have a chat, and yeah, it's good to catch up again. It's been a while. All right, that will do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. I want to thank Lachlan for joining me. He's great. A lot of interesting perspective from him coming from Australia, different sport, and being in the NBA's probably the most crazy NBA season we've had. So I want to thank Lachlan. Thanks to all you for listening. Probably taking a little bit of a break here from the Haber Show podcast. I have a really good excuse. We're expecting our second child here in the uh, the Haber Show household later this month. So I might be stepping back for a little bit to take care of that. But if you uh, if you want more Haber Show episodes, there's a pretty good archive of them. And some of them are evergreen. And you can listen to them Go catch up, tell your friends, and uh, we'll get back. I don't know when I'm going to hit back to my desk. Hopefully, if everything goes well, I'll be back sometime in September or October, early October for the regular season. So thanks so much for listening. Again, please tell your friends and subscribe, rate, and review. If you like this conversation, you might like the previous one I had with Matt Mayberry, who's also not an NBA guru, but he's more about off-court stuff and performance. So go check that out. Last episode, we talked to Chris Forsberg from NBC Sports Boston, the Celtics insider, talking about Team USA and Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. Brad Stevens in the upcoming Celtics season. So go check that out too. Great conversation with my man, Chris, who's in Myrtle Beach probably right now. All right, that'll do it. Until next time.